Story I'm Makers. Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Story, Story Makers, Makers Show. And today on Story Makers, what's going on? Well, we're going to continue our conversation from last week a little bit. We Last week we talked about the intersection of premise and a character's limiting belief. Today we're going to talk about a character's want Mm-hmm. What they desire in the story, their maybe their motivation, mm-hmm. um, and and a little bit maybe about the need, want and need, and in particular, we've been asked to look at how character want, desire, need, whatever fits in with premise and limiting belief. Okay, but didn't we do that last week? So last week we didn't look at the want and desire; we just looked at the premise and the limiting belief. So this week, we're going to look at how desire, mm-hmm. want versus need, fits mm-hmm. in this. With both of those things or with one? I think let's focus on one piece and then the other. Okay. So we're going to do three shows. No, no. I yeah, mean, we totally I, can. no, too okay. many. <laughs> but first, what are you working on? I am working on. So many things. I'm actually working on trying to figure out what I'm working on because I'm so doing so many things. Yeah, so we're you're slammed. We're prepping for a launch. We're prepping for the launch of school and having our kids launch well as well. From home. From at home. Right. At always home. And we're also uh I'm trying to just get my eight million to do things at least into categories. <laughs> So then it feels like, okay, well, these are the seven things I'm working on instead of the 69. Right. And it's really the same things. Yeah. Same amount, but you're but they're organized. So then they feel manageable. I'm naming it your house cleaning. So I don't mean you are house cleaning. <laughs> I mean I'm looking at things to do and one yeah. of them is like, you know, clearing off surfaces. Right. Yeah. Which is part thing. of my to-do list. I'm so happy to hear it. Uh, You're like, that's news to me. <laughs> I, I have things on my to-do list that don't really happen. Um, <laughs> I am working on a couple things. Um, I am back to cracking the nut of, and actually it's kind of has to you do You have used that phrase so many times have in I? the past. Yes. Cracking the nut? No, because yeah. no, it, nope. was, it was my you editor really who used it. You've been saying, I'm cracking that nut. That nut, I'm cracking, like, over and no, over. Yeah, no, really my have. editor used nope, it, maybe you. in my sleep. Anyway, um, I'm... Go ahead, nutcracker. I am launching that parade. <laughs> anyway, this conversation should be helpful because um, there's something about that piece of the, the sort of the, the external propeller... Mm-hmm. Uh, of this book that seems to always be s- not quite working. But luckily, every single other thing seems to be working. So if I can fix the one thing without disrupting the everything else, then maybe I'll be done. Yay! But more importantly, perhaps, I'm also working on something new. Woohoo! Which is just great and really exciting. And I'm just continuing to do both mm-hmm. simultaneously. Yeah. And that is helping me. To stay, if not sane, sane might be overstating it, but balanced. Mm. Mm. All right. So let's start with what is the character desire and why does it matter in story? Well, that's kind of the major (laughs) driver, right? So the detective wants to solve the murder and, you know, 
certain genres will tie that desire to certain things, like a wound in the backstory or um, someone's own suffering in the moment um, or some straight up genre like cozy mysteries might just be like, oh, they need to solve this mystery, not necessarily always because of some deep, dark wound in their own past, but because the opposite, right? They are someone who wants to do good in the world and, you know, bring justice from a place of being justice. So the other thing, though, is... um say non mysteries because solving a mystery in some ways is sort of it's very clear it's easy to tell when it's done mm-hmm. um but let's say like in the nickel boys right well um we're there was so elwood i think wanted to live by these standards that he held himself to and he was forced into this messed up world that did not recognize those standards. Yeah, it's kind of like a hope and optimism, uh, lifting himself up high. But he also, who was he? Who was his integrity? I mean, he. this was a character that was really, um, or at least the way I read it, was that it was a character who was really driven by the great thinkers of his time, really wanted to hold himself to... Uh, what it meant to be a good person in his world, yeah. right? Uh, you know, we talked about the scene before where, uh, you know, some neighborhood comes kids come in and steal. And he calls them out for it. And it's because it uh, would tarnish his own sense of himself if he weren't to call them out. Right. In fact, the shop owner might have been even, like, less concerned than he himself was about acknowledging the theft. And- so it's interesting because in that example, we have a character who sort of wants this quality, this char- this this characteristic, this way of living, this, you know, and, and opportunities. I think he wants opportunities to express that quality, you know, mm. and he really wants an education, for yes. example, which I think, but I think it's, that's part of it becoming, you know, becoming the person he, that, you know, mm-hmm. expresses this integrity and so on. And then more and more and more things build to Thwart him, right? So it's not. So he doesn't sort of come. I, to I want think. That, I think if you were going to isolate it, mm-hmm. I would say that his worldview, his belief, was that he had to hold himself to these particular standards without fail. And the thing he wanted was an education, right? Because, in fact, when he is, you know, caught and gone off track, you know, and and. He's unfortunately associated with someone who is going to get arrested, and then we send him down to the rest of the through the rest of the book. He's on his way, literally, to go get that education. That's the thing that he wants. That's yeah. his driver. And even when he's there, he's trying to figure out how do I continue to get an education. And so. Yeah, yeah. So just interesting to think about characters and what they mm-hmm. want. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Pick another one. Well, you, I think you're, you've just started reading less. Uh-huh. Um, so he wants to avoid I would actually say, wedding. you know, the thing is when you put things in a negative mm-hmm. phrase, it's really hard to conceive, uh, to actually use it as a parameter or a constraint. Because mm-hmm. to avoid something like, well, how do you know that you are... 
Although it's funny in a way. I mean, mm. it's, a, it's a funny book, but like, right? So well, he, I would say that more mm-hmm. he wants to, he doesn't want to just avoid the wedding. He wants to, he kind of conceives of this whole thing. There's a point that I'm at now where he's, you know, envisioning himself these different moments of his round the world trip and how he's going to be coming home from a direction he's never come home from before and what that means. And so I think he also has this, idea not just about avoiding a wedding but that um like he wants to supplant his what his loss with something else something yeah. better or something right because he was going to have his more birthday important in the desert right and drinking champagne and he has this whole fantasy about that right yeah yeah uh, okay room Ooh. So it's hard because it's there's a kid it's, it's, well, the it's narrator. contained yes and, well, and, and it's like there's like the mother has clear desires, and then I guess that might get us to the difference between a protagonist and a main character. You think she's the main character? I think she's the protagonist. I mean, the protagonist, yes. right? And he's the main character. Yes, which is interesting. Do you want to well, say it another? She absolutely thing about she them? she has an unambiguous desire just to get out. Yeah, right. To and s- she wrestles with it all the time, and uh, you know. So that's one thing. And so her plan, her desire drives like at least half the book, right? So the story is set in motion by her stuff. Um, I think he starts to have his own stuff once they get out, but not quite as much. And he hasn't in a way because he's a little kid like he wants to learn the world like right and he's learning the world but she's teaching he doesn't feel loss in the beginning in the same way right so they play a game right where they scream out of the (laughs) one window like every friday or something and so to him it's a game he doesn't know that there's more so he doesn't have a driving thing he wants to be with his mom he wants to connect with her and i think that might be you know, to a certain extent, his desire to, his willingness to take on this crazy plan is really to please her, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe he wants to please her. Yeah. I mean, and she's definitely like the driving force in his world. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, okay. So um, so we have a character who wants something. Right. And, and, and in each of these situations, we see um, a kind of intense opposing force right away. Mm-hmm. Right, so so with Nickel Boys, it's like the, I mean, there's so many elements of the world kind America of against him. Yes, uh, and then unless you know, um, his, his I mean, there's I guess it's I haven't gotten that far yet. Yeah. So well, I mean, the wedding itself, though, I think is what is the inciting incident that sort of disrupts him from like my life is fine and I'm okay or whatever, and and so you know he needs to that sort of forces him to come up with a really spectacular plan that means he's unavailable and doing great. Right. Well, he, you know, he's very concerned with image, right? I mean, it's interesting, even at the beginning of the book, when our narrator is describing him, is describing him in these ways that are sort of attractive, but maybe silly and, you know, um, but very exterior. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. But um, what I was actually going to sort of tie together with those is is that... You know, the want at the beginning is usually tied to that disruption and the limiting belief such that it's it's almost selfish, the goal. 
Right. So let's go to Elf. Wait. So, so, okay, go ahead. (laughs) So in Elf, he wants to go meet his biological father. Yeah. Right. So he is doing this thing that like seems like totally like sure, whatever. But the truth is um, he doesn't, he makes all these assumptions about who his father is. He makes all these assumptions about the world. And it's fun because he's a fish out of water and he's Will Ferrell and it's probably his apex moment as an actor. But it's, it is ultimately selfish, right? Because he's saying I'm incomplete without doing this. Well, other and thing. is this his limiting belief? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the selfishness might be, might come from the limiting belief? Yes. Well, what, how about in Room? Which part? Well, so so what's her limiting belief? I don't know what her limiting belief... I mean, like, I think initially her limiting belief was I can... Um, survive this. I can survive this, and it's more important to survive than escape. And then there became a point which it became clear that the only way to survive was to escape. Yeah, I think, too, though... There is, I almost just just because spoiler alert or whatever, but there's a moment at the end in the movie, and it's probably in the book too. But where she's where she says, um, where she where she says, I'm not a very good ma, and he says, but your ma, right? And it's like ugh, makes me choke up even now because in some ways it's like she's. There's something about the way that she has to do everything and she has mm. to hold everything yeah. and she has to be everything, which is sort of literally true. Like we see that in that situation. It's literally true. And so toward the end of the story, she sort of she sort of has to come out. She can't actually do hold and do and be everything to him in the real world. Right. And so I almost think like her limiting belief is what gets them out, but it's ultimately what she ha- what's challenged at the end, which is like, you know. Which is like, I can't be everything. Sure. And do everything. By I mean, myself. that's the beauty of story, right? Like, we can read the same book, look at the same events, and have some different ideas. Well, I'm but- also thinking because, you know, traditionally we see the limiting belief, I believe, sort of cracking later in the story. So mm-hmm. then, then her limiting belief that uh, she must survive, that survival is more important than escape. Right. Well, that's what the midpoint usually does. Is crack the limiting belief. Well, it it is that new information that drives the story. But by in the a new midpoint direction. of room, I think that they they they've moved past. We need to escape. right, but his his story and her story are not the same. Mm-hmm. So, if you look at the book, the book is from his perspective, and his mm-hmm. midpoint is about getting out. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to remember. I haven't seen mm-hmm. this in a long time, so or read it. You did read it. I did read it. I'm (laughs) I'm trying to remember because I was... But he wants to go back, which is a big... But that's near the end. Yeah? No, it's when when they get out. And he says, when are we going back? Well, he initially says, when are we going back? Right, then they do go back. But then she finally does... But I think his limiting belief is like, this is this whole safe, wonderful world. Like, this is the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's certainly what he thinks. So let's talk about the relationship between... Limiting. Well, then he would be a classic coming of age story, right? So you have a certain level of naivete, certain level of selfishness because of that naivete, uh, which is really highlighted. I think Donahue does such a fantastic job, and I've talked about this eight million times, about giving us what Ma is doing 
through his perspective, but in a way that lets us know more than he Yeah, knows. this isn't normal. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So what is the relationship between the character's desire and the character's limiting belief? Well, usually what's happened is their world has been turned upside down, right? But that kickoff event, that inciting mm-hmm. incident. And their limiting belief basically constrains their ideas. Like they're not going to come up with... Uh, something outside of that worldview. In a way, this is where, like, I think maybe the want, the what they want versus what they need might come in because I think their limiting belief might keep them focused on right. what they well, want instead to, of what they need. Well, yeah, same thing. So the idea is that you it would not occur to the character at the beginning of the story that the answer would be this other thing. So that's very why at mm. that low point. We get that new understanding, that low point where people are saying like, oh, now I'm totally alone because I would not let go of this idea or this behavior or whatever. Which I thought would be the mechanism to get me what I want. Right. But in fact, is another obstacle. Right. And so because of, you know, the culture in the U.S., as far as storytelling goes, we like to see people not only understand and, and make a better choice, but to make a choice that also reflects uh, self-sacrifice on some level. So we find it much more satisfying if we have a story where someone who's been making a mistake not only makes amends, but walks away from the thing that they had spent the entire story going after. And then gets it anyway. <laughs> well, that, yes, definitely in America we like that. We um, want to have our cake and eat it. Do we yes. want to give our cake away and eat it too? And be invited back. Yeah. Be like, no, you have it. No, you. <laughs> right. So um, often uh, you'll see that, right, where someone's like, I've fought this whole time to get this job, say. But really what I need to do is be over here in this small political office working for the rights of others. Right. So I'm not going to be famous, but I'm going to draw, use my skills for good, say, and, and draw attention to wrongs in the world. And be happier in the mm-hmm. long run. Right. So let's say, let's take Nickel Boys and say, okay, so we, we, we looked at what... I think Nickel Boys is tough because of the twist. So right. without talking know, about the we twist, we can't talk about the twist. It's I mean, so, but it, that's what's so brilliant about it. It is, right? but I think if we if we're gonna sit here and do this, okay. we either have to reveal the twist or mm. pick a different example. Okay. Okay. Um. Well, let's start with Elf. <laughs> <laughs> ah! I, for some reason, I'm just. It's so that book is so brilliant, and I think. That you don't, I just don't want to spoil it for the people who haven't read it yet. Go read it, everybody Absolutely. in the world, and then we can talk about it. But let's, so let's go back to Elf, and then we'll think about maybe another one. Well, for example, um, for the entire series of 30 Rock, Liz Lemon is trying to control, placate, mollify, get them to eat, do this whole thing with Jenna and Tracy. That's the whole series. She's just totally dealing with these infantile actors. And then, of course, when she finally gets to adopt some children, they are, in fact, Tracy and Jenna again. And it turns. It becomes a thing where rather than resenting the work, what she wanted was to not have to do this kind of caretaking anymore. And what she needed was to give that level of caretaking to people who could actually use it, mm. right? Mm. So, um, and what was her limiting belief? 
I think she's a control freak. So her limiting belief was that unless it goes my way, it's not really okay. Right. Well, she, think about all the right. people she broke up with and the reason she broke up with them. And okay, okay. And so, how did the this desire and this turning of the desire, the want versus the need? How did that? How does that intersect with the limiting belief? Well, the limiting belief is, you know. Um, in that situation, and with parenting, often people who think that they know how to make every single decision for how their life is going to be are often uh, re-educated, if you will, about what it's actually going to mean to parent. And um, and so you actually see her with Chris kind of getting to a point where Again, she thinks because she's female, she's the one who's supposed to be at home and he's the one who's supposed to do whatever. And really, they're in the wrong roles again. And, you know, right. and so um, she even – and in that way, it's um, – she gets to have her cake and eat it too. She That's gets to be a parent, woman. which she wants to be, but she gets to be professional at the same time, which is more of her skill set. Yeah. All right. So – I mean, obviously, all these things are interwoven. So here, I'm going to write on the whiteboard. Pretend your sound effects, sound effects. Sound effects on the whiteboard. Basically, a limiting belief is how someone sees the world at the beginning, and it's the belief that is going to change after having gone through the story. By definition, that means everything that your character does, their decisions, their actions, up to a certain point, are going to be defined by a worldview that says this. So, for example, um, again, Scrooge, right? He's not going to start the story thinking, you know, uh, I'm alone, and this ghost is here, and I'm not terribly comfortable with it, so you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and give Bob Cratchit a raise, right? It's just not in his worldview to get there. He's not going to start with right, that. Right. So that's how the limiting belief ties into the beginning, to the want. It's going right? to shape the want. It's going to shape the want. It's going to be defined by the values of that character. Um, and, and that's, and again, that's why the want is going to have to shift in some way. Exactly. All right. So last thing is the premise. And we talked last week about the premise. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe just redefine it quickly for anyone who's jumping into this week's episode willy-nilly without listening to last week. Well, I think I talk about premise as being sort of an examination of two values in conflict. Right. And the outcome being either, you know, synthesis, right, that middle way, or um, one of them definitely winning. And so, um, all right, so it's kind of that, like, what is your book about or the theme or whatever? So how is that shaped? By character desire, or shape, how does that shape character desire? Well, I think premise, when we look at it as a value, is going to um, go back to strategies. So the truth is, uh, on the higher level, you're if you if you've done a good job connecting your limiting belief to your character to your premise then by definition, it will be connected to everything throughout the book. I mean, it, not, not just this. I just, you know what I mean? Well, I think the idea of strategies is interesting because in a way, the kind of the erroneous side of the premise is going to be the strategies at the start. Exactly. They're going to be, it's going to be the how, how the character goes after what they want. Mm-hmm. The, the erroneous way the character goes after what they want, which, which is also the limiting belief, right? That's the sort of 
that sort of usually first side of the premise or, or the, the losing side of the premise and the limiting belief are all aligned mm-hmm. and they shape the strategies that the character is going to use to go after what they want. Right. Let's say. I mean, that sounds very neat with the bow and it might be more complicated than that. And it's really all about making it work. Well, you know, again, thinking about like Oedipus, right? So he has this idea that he is so good, he can outrun his fate, right? right. He can move and get away from the prophecy and... Um, well, and also I think it's because he, he, he thinks that knowing it is sufficient. Right? That's I think his limiting belief has to do with like, if I know it, I can escape it. Well, he also, though, is not just... No, well, I mean, I it's been a while since yeah, I've interacted yeah. with but, this you know, one. But my, my memory is that the end where he's, like, gouging out his eyes... Um, Spoiler alert. <laughs> is, is that he, he definitely talks about sort of his humility in the face of, like... And here's the thing. Like, if we had a character who did not have a deep, strong, limiting belief, the story of Oedipus... Imagine if it was like, the fates have dictated that you will stub the toe of your <laughs> mother's lover. And you're like, I'm going to run away, and I'm so good because I answered all the Sphinx's questions, and I'm the new king of Thebes. And you stubbed your toe. <laughs> Like you, if he, you know, if you don't have a strong protagonist who's like really entrenched in their worldview, you're not going to be able to build the kind of opposition to it that makes a compelling grand story. All right. Well, I think we've gotten, we've, we've gotten into the knot or the nut <laughs> of this. We've started to pull these strands apart. I hope Does that even been, make sense? It does make sense. Okay. Yes. I mean, I think, I think, you know, it, I think it does make sense. And I think it's all just the mechanism of story. Of, of Here, I'll just draw us, on the whiteboard a little more for you. All of us figuring out how do we survive, learn, and grow, which is like always a big question. It is time for Steal This. Amateur poets borrow. Professional poets steal. <laughs> But if you come across in your wanderings and your readings that you would like to take and make your own, (laughs) primarily Bandit's tummy. That's our little dog. He's our producer. He says, who, me? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I will say that one of the, I mean, we always really adored our dog, but like adoring our dog has become a major pandemic, like a hobby, maybe even profession amongst the whole family. It seems to be our, a uniting factor. He's practically factor. perfect in every way. Um, so... And what I mean by that, actually, is that Bandit... redeem that? I am. So what I'm going to... What I noticed is that Bandit is a hub of love in our family. And in fact, people who might have been in a fight two minutes ago will just get in a collective hug puddle with... That's our what, little baby bandit in your dog will do. It's true. So he does still bark randomly at people. So and what are you quiver. stealing from this? But I am stealing from Bandit that that sense that people should rub my tummy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we made you do a lot of serious explicating, so we're gonna like just roll with that. That's a pun, get it? Yeah, because of my tummy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, no. Oh. 
Because the dog has to roll over to get his tummy rubbed. No, really. Uh-huh. Oh, I am never cruel. In any case, I'm going to try to be more literary here. Yes. Well, I, I just finished listening to the audiobook of Heather Young's The Distant Dead, uh, which I really loved. And... Um, it's just, it's it's some fine writing. And again, I mean, I think I might have already talked about it last week because I was had started listening to it last week. But um, it did, um, it balanced really beautifully uh, kind of compelling characters with specific problems and points of view. And, and, and they were, they were distinctive um, and kind of, and kind of themes, you know, it did, it did bring out and grapple with what these different things meant. And it really, I mean, it was really interwoven. Like each character was sort of grappling with some similar kinds of situations, but in, you know, in, di- in these different juxtaposed ways. So just the kind of orchestrating of all those things, I think can be really deeply satisfying. Um, but it, but it works the best when it's grounded in these vivid wonderful characters because you'll just, otherwise you won't buy into it. But if you, if they're great, you will. That sounds great. All right. So. Oh, quick thing. Tomorrow, Wednesday, August 5th, Ellen Sussman and I are doing a free online Zoom class for an hour on um, writing in the time of COVID. How to how to get and stay inspired, productive, and where can they sane. sign up for that? So if you go to Story, no, that would be us. I will put a link in the show notes. But if you go to SonomaCountyWritersCamp.com and there's at the top menu on the far right, it says free class, and you click on that, and that will be where you sign up, and then you will get the Zoom link before the class starts on Wednesday. I believe it is. 6 p.m. It's either 5 or 6 p.m. I should know, but um, it'll be it's on the on there and um, it's Pacific time. Okay. And I just want to remind everyone that if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, send them to questions at storymakershow.com. If you did before and nobody responded, it's in part because it was going into the ether for a little minute Ooh. there. So, so try, we, try now, again. we now have a vibrant email connection for that. Don't give up on us, please. Until next week.